All right, folks, welcome to episode 42 of Biomast. Uh, we have a pretty crisp show for you tonight. Crisp by that I mean short, sweet, tart, to the point, lightning round-like. Uh, we're, we're under an incredible amount of pressure from one of the producers of the show to actually rein in the amount of rambling that we do. So in true fashion of... Uh, how the dust marks have been responding to CCP. We're going to fight the power, and we're going to go for an all-night episode. Uh, we're going to we're going to try to hold on to this one for as long as we can. We're going to be cycling guests in and out all night long, and see exactly how long we can drag this one out. So, with that, uh, we're going to dive right in and do some intros. Iron Wolf Saber. Hello, I'm CP1 Iron Wolf Saber. I'm here to annoy and troll everyone. No change to your normal method. Okay, excellent. Kane Sparrow. Yes, former member of the CPM and leader of the uh, Negative Feedback Alliance. All right, Pokey. Uh, Pokey Draven from OSG Planetary Operations and co-host here in Biomass. Yep, the uh, the artist formerly known as Pokey is now known as Comrade Draven because apparently he's he's destroyed his corp from within with his communistic behavior. Uh, so the, it's the, the taxes, proletariat is, you know. yeah, the, the proletari- proletariat is, uh, absolutely an uprise right now. So it's awesome. That's right. What's the tax rate on that? Was the tax, the tax rate? rate? Yeah. Like 5%, 10%. Um, I actually pushed it to 300%. Um, you know, I, I felt it was reasonable, but they disagreed. I don't think the client will let you do that. I have my ways. I have my ways. That's impressive. It, it's 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 a lot of alt corps and, and various shenanigans and dev hacks. Okay. Um. So I'm sorry, Azel. I'm a member of uh, CPM One and uh, co-host here on the show. Outstanding. All right. And I'm Jason Larison. I'm also one of the co-hosts on the show, and uh, I fly with Agony Unleashed on the East Side, and I'm also a. Uh, a member of OSG Planetary Operations until I attempt to rise up and overthrow Pokey's boot that's on my neck with his uh, incredibly invasive taxes and his, uh, you know, diva-like demands on us. So for the first thing we have, we're going to we're gonna tee this up. Sarizel was letting us know that he has a very extra special random topic that he was going to bring up randomly throughout this random show. So I thought I would randomly open this up and, and give him a window of time with which he could bring up his random topic. No, I'm In not going to do that. That wouldn't uh, be very random. Um, no, it wouldn't. But so, it would be incredibly well-flowing in, in your desire to have a short show tonight. Nah. Um, so anyways... Um, uh, my thing that I did this week, there's there's no um, real CPM update this week because um, there was uh, the Chinese New Year, and so things have been pretty quiet. Um, I did go to a party this weekend, which for a uh, you know social butterfly such as myself is not a frequent occurrence. I went to a goomp, um, which is a meet of goons, and there were about 70 goons there. Um, maybe 60 goons and like 10 people who weren't goons, um, like myself. I actually met with, uh, Cyan, who is one of the CSM members, and I talked to him a bit. So, that was cool. That's, that's, that's the only thing the CPM did this week, as far as I know. Well, did you see how many candidates on CSM, um, 10's gonna have? 77 candidates, yeah. It's like an off the hook. And most of them don't matter. Yeah, and... (laughs) But uh, when does that start? The 25th is when the vote match is uh, supposed 20, to be up and voting? 24th. 24th? 24th. And then 25th is when voting opens then? Do you know? I don't know. Maybe. Because <laughs> that'll be exciting. Um, 
there's definitely hey we could talk about that for a bit if you want um, well, I, I will say this i i know i mean obviously a, a large swath of those 77 folks are you know relatively either a unknown or b not relevant but the reality is that with 14 slots and this many different way the votes is the vote is going to get split it would really not surprise me if that there's like some surprises of some people that get in those last three to five slots on people's ballots oh yeah potentially um i mean obviously you're gonna see um goons will rally behind their usual thing and they'll push through their candidates because you know everyone goons votes goons properly um but uh yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some incumbents I hope get uh, reelected. Um, I, I think Mike Azari is great. I, I like sure Kyle's really great. Um, Cyan's cool. Um, uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll get a, kind of a decent mix of uh, new blood and and uh, veteran faces. Yeah, I've been taking a look at the. Uh, uh, you know, I'm 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 pretty. Oh, and Steve Ronakin, he's cool too. Yeah, well, not only is he cool, but he's incredibly. Uh, there's not a lot of guys out there like Steve that do what he does with yes. third party yeah. activities. Um, I felt bad because I started listing some of the people I hope get reelected, and I'm like, and then you started talking, and I'm like, ah, crud, I didn't mention Steve. No, 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 no. Well, you know, if you think about it, there's, it, it's kind of interesting. I was actually having this discussion with a couple of the guys from uh, Podside the other night. The, there's, you know, there's 14 people that get elected on the CSM, uh, and there's probably on any given day, uh, really only six to seven maybe really five to seven that are actually engaged or actually doing anything and then you might then occasionally you might get some other ones right um that, that were if it's something very that they're very involved in from their niche you know whatever that may be where they might engage with uh ccp but uh ccp lilu who manages the csm there's been a lot of drama over the CSM and, and things like that over the last few weeks. And she had a couple of very interesting things to say uh, that I thought were relevant to um, actually to how the CPM, how we look at the CPM. Her thought was interesting. She doesn't view them as like a group entity that performs like a, a, a collective function. She sees them more as how they involve themselves individually. Uh, and her statement was actually pretty telling in that she would much rather have 14 people that are consistently engaged in the process uh, in different different spots, but consistently engaged and are, she, she kind of referred to it as like 14 B plus people rather than having half of the CSM not engaged at all. But the ones that are engaged are, you know, high quality or whatever. Um, it was a, an interesting statement. And I think it shows a lot about how, the yeah. CSM is, is their role has been changing over time, and there's there's a lot of discussion about the actual CSM white paper getting changed. And you're gonna have you're gonna have you know kind of your your really superhero CSM, and then you're gonna have you know a few that everyone kind of hoped worked out and didn't, and that's why I think that it's a great opportunity when there are people running from for reelection to to not only put back in the people who've shown they can they they are putting in the time and then hopefully maybe swap out some of the less productive seats with uh people who are maybe just at that level as well yeah you know that's actually a good point and there's a lot you know of the of the people that are running i think and i think you listed the ones you just listed off are really the incumbents that are running shy of like xander xander fina so cyan is running then you've got Mike, uh, 
let's see, Sugar, Steve Ronikin, um, Xander's running again. I won't but, vote for Xander. Yeah, yeah, I didn't vote for him the first time. I mean, he's he runs a pretty good podcast and website, but I don't really, I'm not sure that he's actually what what he actually does in the process. And that's really, and then Steve Ronkin. So that's five out of the out of the, uh, the seven. I think Gorski Carr is running again. I don't know him very well, but he's real big in Pravi. Um, I think Core Blood Brothers might be running again. He's another Pravi guy, I think. So, but and reportedly they they're pretty good folks. I just I don't know them. I've I've not met them or dealt with you know their voting blocks. There are some kind of newer guys. And what I found interesting, honestly, was the number of new players or p- players that have been playing a year or less that are interested in the CSM. And that's and very good. I'll be honest with you. I, I like, I've heard a lot of veterans and Eve, like you know, the classic bitter vet, like, you know, fuck them. They don't know anything about the game. And if you haven't been playing six years, you don't really know, you know, mm, you're not worth it. My time or something, or you're not a, a master's degree level specialist in something. I'll no, be I mean, you need people who have a newer, a newer view. You need to have some people with a totally different perspective. At the least game has the to appeal to new players, which means the people who are coming just in have a lot of viewpoint of what they see is good and what isn't good with the game that may or may not reflect the same as the veterans, but it's very important that more more new player stuff was in there. I mean, I was, uh, so, you know, as I said, I saw, saw Scion this weekend. I actually, I, you know... Um, Last week, uh, CCP announced uh, Opportunities, which is kind of their, their take on a little bit more open-ended tutorial system. Um, you I read that? that yeah. Yeah, 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 I did. Um, and I, I told them, I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that I've been waiting to see CCP actually doing, is looking at the new player experience, how it doesn't reflect the game, and figuring out how to make this game something that new players are going to enjoy. Yeah, you know, so to that end, of the people that I've I've looked into, there I think there are actually uh, probably a couple of folks that I would, I, and this is just me. I'm not endorsing anybody right now. I'm actually you kind of looking into it, but a couple of folks have kind of um, piqued my interest that are kind of out of the norm. One of them would be uh, Chance Ravine, uh, aka Wingspan TT. If you, he's a very very popular YouTuber, but not in the uh, not in a business sense. If you ever want to have an, an see the actual fun side of Eve, go to YouTube and look up Wingspan TT. He's he's actually a a professional marketing guy, like in real life, and just absolutely totally enthusiastic. He's been playing for about a year. Uh, he's a really really good dude, and he's got a very fresh take on uh, on what Eve could be or or how you could. Uh, you know, sort of increase its general appeal and, and make it work within the things that actually uh, have set the game apart in a positive way. So I, I would just offer, you know, folks, check him out. He's he's a pretty interesting guy. Um, Ashtarothy from the Hydrag, pod, Hi, Hydrag and Hydrostatic podcast is a pretty good dude. He's a he's actually a bro of uh, Hans Jaeger Blitzen, a uh, longtime faction warfare guy in EVE. Uh, his big thing that I think is interesting is, is not Hans so much... Dorsen? Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, okay, then everyone should vote for him. I mean, I, if Hans says it, do it. <laughs> that's that's what we we operate under. Ash is a really good dude. Um, he's a little nervous when he talks, so he's you know, he's a little bit flighty. But hit the bit the big thing that's happening in Eve right now is that they're really really utilizing the lore to describe game mechanics back and forth, or to foreshadow what's happening in the game, and and there really looks to be kind of a lot of the, uh, like an actual storyline in Eve being relaced and, and sort of fleshed out. Yeah, there's that's these one of the scope things, videos. 
Yeah, those are awesome. And and he was actually and his podcast is the one that was actually featured in that last scope video. Um, that's the lore panel or the the expert panel they were talking about. Those were the characters of the guys that were on that on that lore panel on his podcast. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm I'm waiting to see how that that whole thing rolls out. Eve's story, the 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 storyline with the star and whatnot. I I mean, I'm interested. I'm curious where they're going with it, but I still don't like the direction of. Uh, player created gates as a, as a focus for major development. So we'll see what they do with it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But in, anyway, I think because of that, you know, now that, that aspect uh, is coming to the fore, Gallic Ash is probably an interesting choice for some, somewhere deeper in your ballot, your ballot maybe. But long story short, there's a lot of, re- I mean, you really actually have to pay attention to what's going on if you're an EVE player and you are interested in what the CSM can do for you. Which is noticeably different than what the CPM does, in my opinion. Um, but like I said, it's an interesting crossover, and I do recommend people take a look at it. And you'll get to see there's some extremely capable uh, folks that are out there uh, that are looking to put their own personal time into making the game better uh, for the community, or at least for their segment of the community, which I think is a fair statement. So, so Jason. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a viewpoint. I just wanna wanna ask you for. I wanna get it out there. When when you put a toilet paper roll in the bathroom, does it go over or under? Because there's only one right way to do it. Well, I have a bidet, so I'm not really sure how this is gonna work out. <laughs> Volley to you, Sarizel. The correct answer is over. Unless you Whatever. have a cat, then you can put it under. Well, I certainly don't own a feline, uh, although the closest I've got to that is Cat Merc, who's up in the listening room and he's falling asleep. We've just kind of gotten used to Cat sleeping in the lobby of the channel now. Yeah, that's probably pretty true. So, um, I, I guess, let's see, before we rift onto the whole CSM thing, where were we at? Something uh, that was it, I mean. Yeah, I think that was it. Um so that was guess, my random topic, in case you were that was curious. It? Oh, Jesus Christ! All right, man. So uh, a couple Told things. You it was we, random. We can we can die. Well, actually, I was kind of planning on on touching about that. Uh, that was sort of in my my Eve update list of things to talk about. But the anyway, toilet paper roll? No, not so much. Although oh, okay. I did link right. a great video of you at the uh, Ice Swarm meet. Everybody in the Biomass Podcast Skype channel, please take check it out. I don't want to know. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so, I was on video there. Yeah, absolutely you were. So the other component of that is, that I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit, uh, we've got the 1.1 update for Warlords coming out, I think, in April, May. Right, Kane? I think you posted yep. that up. Um, I'm just curious. Like, I, 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 When you posted that, I went back and looked at the Trello board. There's a lot of stuff that they're claiming is going to hit in April, or, well, I guess April, May. I'm curious how much of that list is actually going to come true because there, there's some big-ticket items in there. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of things that'll be game changers. And apologies for the dogs barking in the background, but uh, uh, the thing that's probably most interesting in terms of a game mechanic that could really make a big difference is simple trading, I think, and also the uh, command points thing for PC. That's going to be the first real PC change that we're seeing roll out is that command point stuff. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how that's going to go down because uh, I think we're still not really in aftershocks, but people are still trying to sort the the war barging out uh just to, and and however that's going to play into this i'm very curious to see yeah the lab still continues to produce more officer gear than experimental things and including officer suits 
Get to have to do War Barge level five to get the the lab. Uh, yes, that's correct. Ah, okay. And what level is your lab at right now? My lab is currently level two because, in terms of the cost of component claiming, there's no reason to have it any higher right now. I uh, I am at uh, War Barge level two, and I finally just today got to upgrade my uh, um, uh, the the factory thing that makes components to level two. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. So are yeah, I'm kind of trying to do the the no arm thing. I basically spent like like I had some arm that I've had for probably six months. Ah, oh, you spent. Um, you cheated. Well, I did. Like when it first came out, because I didn't. Yeah, and that's what I was. That's um, like it was literally just the arm that I've had for. I'm slow boating it forever. The old fashioned way. And that's that's what I've been doing for a while. Like and. Like I, I, I'm not even close to having level five war barge yet. Not even remotely close. Between I'm not remotely close and, to level two war barge yet. <laughs> it's like holy shit. I, like I, like I find this to be um, a bit aggravating um, as I look at it, and and to the point where I don't even pay attention to the war barge stuff anymore. The problem is going to happen is if I ever really tried to get back into the you know the higher and competitive side of the game. Like you're going to get driven to to having to max your war barge out because of the benefits it gives you. It's going to be. It's. I'm really, really not interested in going down that road, though. I, I really, really hope that Toddy takes the feedback based on uh, about changing the component factory to active generation from passive generation, and actually implements that because I think that would make the whole situation with the barge way, way, way better. Because, I mean, we definitely get more end of match salvage now, but mm, I don't know. The the passive stuff is going to be a roadblock to actually components being a tradable thing. And with simple trading coming around the corner, I think more barge components could be potentially a huge boon in terms of players having money. They buy components and then they trade it over to other people for ISK that's been generated in the game almost in a Plex-like way. Hmm. Now that that would be that would be pretty interesting if if it was set up that way. I just there, there's a whole lot of second third order effects you'd have to really kind of look at on that though. I think as long as it's the ISK generation too is going to be get interesting. The command points. One of the things about the command points is the selling of clones, which will bring back wealth generation to districts, which is a huge deal for I know for a lot of people. Um, but I, I don't know. I, th I think as long as the majority of the ISK being generated in dust is active generation, I think um, even if people are buying war barge components for ore and then selling them on a secondary market or through trading, um, I think that's going to would actually be healthy for the game because you have people who have lots of time to grind the isk and then you have people who don't have time to grind the isk so maybe they already have their war barge out at level five that would actually give people who want to get more isk you know they could spend even more ore and all that kind of stuff you know yeah i could see that i, I mean like i said it'll be interesting to see if uh like what happens with 1.1 i'll be like it would not entirely surprise me if you know the you know the infamous bullet versus you know like PC new PC drops is slid out of the 1.1. 1 .1. Uh, although I'm, I mean just it's just a factor of them dealing with uh, you know the outlay of the 1.0 drop and ultimately they're probably going to have some some downtime with some of the uh, Chinese holidays. But well, yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they actually come up with. 
another thing that's I think out of all those things on the 1.1 list that are really interesting though is definitely the new game modes item too, which is supposedly the most expensive you know thing that they can add if I recall correctly one of them anyways well i guess i mean there's going to be a couple of interesting potential issues too is we can have you know all sorts of new mechanics issues potentially could come up with whatever the game mode is that uh, they go with and the other thing is that they're also splitting the queue of how many people are queuing up for different games at a time which can also hit you know that's that's the issue with only having so many people playing the game well yeah you only have what 40 to 100 matches at any given time between all pub pc and faction warfare gameplay that's why the metal level lockout worries me with the whole 1.2 stuff i, I really but... dislike the metal level lockout idea i've said it before i'll say it again i don't i don't i think it defeats the point of having uh, gear gear in the first place to me it seems like it would be so much easier to just say pubs are you know, maybe you limit public play, and then Faction Warfare, it's no holds bar, and then PC is no holds bar. I mean, if you're going to do meta level stuff, I mean, there. if you start subdividing public play, I think you're going to run into issues. Well, plus for me, the, the main reason that I, you know, looked at the, the meta lockout in the first place was to improve the new player experience, but if they can actually get the academy working properly, I don't yeah, think I mean, the meta lockout's necessary. And I'd be okay if they, like, left the academy, like, maybe if they left the academy longer term so that maybe you'd keep it, you know, a few months, um, potentially, something like that, and that was meta level restricted, I'd be okay with that. It depends on how, I mean, I guess... The meta level locking, uh, like putting meta levels in for the academy, would definitely make sense. Um, Because you, I've I've been wanting to ask this question, and I I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, Kane. The uh, like meta level lockouts. Now we're all assuming that means you can't have over a X collective meta score for an individual loadout that's available in a game, right? That's that's what we think this is. Yes. Some of a sum of all of your 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 fitting. So your suit has a meta level number. Your your modules have meta level numbers, and they all get added together to give you a total meta level for your your do, whole suit. Do vehicles and vehicle modules have meta levels anymore? Yes, I think they do. I'll be interested to see how this works out. I'm not I'm not a vehicle hater, but if if what you're going to do is tell me I can't bring in like oh I don't know. Proto forge guns and proto swarms. That's going to make it real interesting against vehicles. I would assume they'll be adding it anyways. The that's the thing. The the we're still the whole infamous and mysterious and elusive hotfix echo is still you know actually supposedly coming soon uh, according to a a, a Rattati post. At least the details, the narrative was going to be posted soon, as opposed to deployment. I'm not, I don't, I, I don't know, but um, that could definitely uh, change things up because that's going to happen before all this meta level stuff happens, and that's a lot of changes in terms of vehicles apparently coming down the pipe. Yeah, it's just a matter of getting productive feedback out of the player base when working with vehicles, which is extremely hard to do and time consuming. Well, they're being done at least, and we are progressing a little bit, considering that we now got placeholder names for the new solo HAVs and how they're going to name scheme the um, prototypes in advance. The, the thing that was so interesting to me about that was actually utilizing ProtoFits, the the web, website ProtoFits. Um, if you haven't used the, this website, it's a great one. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just ProtoFits.com, if I'm correct. Is that, is that right, guys? 
I believe so. And um, putting the theoretical fits, uh, put the theoretical stats on that website is kind of very innovative because it's almost like a a modicum of a test server, (laughs) just the tiniest bit where people can go in and play with fittings and see if they can do kind of crazy things. Um, And definitely one of the other interesting things that Rotati posted, I know that a lot of, has a lot of vehicle people in the kind of a herf blurf was the, uh, um, potential changes to CPU and power grid mods, and them. Have- yeah, that that's an interesting one because um, before you have your, your your CPU extenders and your power grid enhancers, and the power grid enhancers would take uh, CPU to run, but the CPU enhancers were basically free. So what you could do is on a lot of shield vehicles that you would fill your low slots, which are not being used for shields and basically push your resources extremely high and you could fit a lot more stuff in a shield vehicle than you could in an armored vehicle because obviously you can effectively increase your available resources. Um, so what Rotati is doing is basically uh, power grid extenders will still consume CPU, but it's quite a bit more and CPU extenders will consume power grid in, again in a large amount. So if you put them together, they almost cancel each other out. So you really kind of have to decide what do you need rather than just throwing them on there because you know you can the thing i've always found it interesting about it is you're always you are sacrificing a slot for more fitting but i think it almost makes me wonder if it would have been better at some point in dust history to have you know cpu be you know cpu and power grid actually not share the same rack you know of low of of you know low or high you know yeah, and I, I don't have an issue with people spending a, a module slot to increase the resources. The issue is is that there are so few uh, decent low slot modules for vehicles that it's pretty much a no-brainer that you put them in there, unless you're fitting armor. But again, on a shield vehicle, if you want to really ramp your shield your, your weapon up, you can just fill those with the, the resource enhancers because the alternatives really aren't that useful to you. So I think if you added some more uh, low slot modules that were actually things that you would want and would have to not use um, in exchange the resources it'd be a lot more reasonable yeah for sure for sure well uh i guess my question is anything else for any for the discussion about 1.1 anything you guys want to touch on no i know you guys probably can't answer this but for the new game modes should we be expecting something that's entirely new or more of like a variation of what we have now um i would have to say a variation with a new rule thrown in i I mean i I, I would say that it's it's not a, a radical departure. Uh, well, I mean, pretty much. I mean, if you think about it, if they, if they change domination where the point moves every so often, they've quote unquote made a new game mode, and I, it's it doesn't mean what I think. I I would tend to agree. It's I don't have any expectations. It's going to be some huge radical shift in anything because we're not really experiencing huge radical shifts in this game. So, I mean, I, there's there's a lot of game modes I would like that are probably a bit above, um, you know, what I I would expect to see from CCP in at least the near future. Yeah, I mean, aside, uh, aside from like you know a progressive game mode like Skirmish 1.0, I don't expect us to see much more that you can do with static points like we have now. So I was just curious if they had come up with something creative or if it was just going to be a variation, which it sounds like it's going to be. But, you know, I guess it's something, so I can't complain too much. If I had to put money on it, I would expect a rotating DOM game mode. I mean, that's something that TCP has talked about before. It's something that's popped up on Trello before. Um, I mean, I think it could... 
uh, one of the problems with domination was always pe once you're dug in, you're dug in. And I don't know. I think it could be a really dy it could be a very dynamic mode. Um, granted, yes, it's just objective based gameplay uh, uh, yet again. Um, but I do think it could be a fresh way of approaching certain problems, maybe even in PC and um, some other areas of the game as well. You, you know, I was just thinking um, like the classic Unreal Tournament style, which was basically two objectives. And, you know, the, you basically both start at your home point and you and you have to hold, you have to defend your one point and attack the other guy's one point. That's actually not a bad, that's not a bad variation either. I mean, it it would the, it would I can see well the complaints of redlining coming back, though. Well, not, still wish I mean, the red line would burn in a fire. The red line is an too, important but... game mechanic that can't go away. Huh? If technology allowed it, I would like to see it go away. <laughs> I just don't think it mechanically could go away. I think the way the game is designed, like from a from a from a strategy standpoint, and I think the red line is critical. Well, there's there's numerous things you could do to to potentially alleviate there being an issue of red line. You could add an if then condition, you know, of you know all of all the if all of your points are taken, you know, you open up alternative spawns on like the edges or the sides of the map, or you know, on the yeah. Circle. I mean, it would be as simple as like a CRU falling from the sky somewhere, like in a different part of the map, then it's pre-blued to you. That, that I mean, there, there's a thousand one ways to, to overcome it. I mean, I, I mean, ultimately the red lines, you know, somewhat arbitrary, you know, thing that they overlap on the game for, in some ways, not a good reason, and and other and in also in other ways, in very poor, poorly thought out, you know, geographic, you know, geographic sort of nonsensical ways. So. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been. As I know, some people don't like the train map, uh, the one with the little underground part to it in the center. But um, I don't know. I think that red line, where basically one of the ground spawns is actually not in the red line, and the only red line area that you really have is kind of back where the MCC is, sort of. Um, and that, that does work pretty well, actually. I'll, I'll I give only you have that. one one real peeve with the 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 um, uh, train map and and. That's that. Uh, it it seems like it's unnecessarily difficult to get from the bottom, you know, inside, kind of inside where the train goes into, to uh, the top of that. I wish there was like some sort of back stairwell or something. That's like the only only thing that makes me sad about that map. I would I would grant you that I, I think like along that very back wall, it would be good if there was like a ladder that went all the way to the top of to the catwalks. Um, that would be kind of that would be actually be not bad that that way it doesn't force you to, to be on the top of the structure and then jump down into it to get to that one catwalk that just doesn't make sense but yeah i mean it's actually not bad i mean i think i think overall that's one of the better that's a fairly open map you know if you think about it, other than that one central point like that's a that's a pretty but i mean i'd map, love those catwalks in the back to just come in, you know it, have the catwalk extend around to the back there of of that, um, I'm going to call it a, a building, cave, whatever, cavern, I don't know. Um, but you have the catwalks come around so that they join together, so it's one catwalk. And then you have a, a like stairwell where you can actually go in up to the catwalk and all the way up to the roof, right way in the back. That's what mm -hmm. I want. It, yeah, I mean, by and large, I think it's pretty good. But yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, the red line, like... It's kind of interesting because I've watched a lot of beefs about the red line over the years, as we all have. Like, 
I, I don't really care about the red line, frankly. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. I think it's a very arbitrary and, and probably not real well thought out game mechanic sometimes. Um, but it is it's what's in the game. You know, I mean, I, I got it. And I used to, you know, and when people would beef about having like, you know, rail guns and, you know, like turrets in the red line shooting them, I'm like, who, like, so deal with it. <laughs> go, go figure out how to kill it or not, or not get shot by Adapter it. Adapt or die? Yeah, you know, or you get, <laughs> or you get people like that were that beef about uh, red line snipers. And, and for the record, you know, which I am not a sniper, I don't, I don't have a single SP. I've never used anything more than a militia sniper rifle, but, I'll, you know, and part of this, I freely admit, is I'm probably influenced by my day job a little bit in this, but you're goddamn right. I would like to have the sniper in the farthest, safest Overwatch position shooting at you where you can't find him and kill him. Like, that that, that makes perfect and utter logical sense to me. But somehow, like, people go ben, absolute bananas about that shit in, um, in dust. So, I, I don't know. I, it just... The, the red line doesn't general, matter to me. The general problem is is the inability to get that sniper. In real life, there's hundreds of ways to get to that sniper once you find out where he is. Yeah, but it's also a hell of a lot harder to find him. I mean, that, like that's that's what I'm saying is like you can still not, get not to the these guy. days. There are there's a three speaker technology out there that would um, pinpoint a sniper with the first shot. All right, look, Iron Wolf. I'm not going to fence with you about real life shit. If you want to talk about this like after the show, I can and. I, I, I'm. I think it's probably safe to say I have more practical knowledge of the subject than probably any seven people playing fucking dust now. Um, but I, you, my point is that you can still deal with redline snipers. I, I mean, I they're not that big of a deal, frankly, and they rarely. There's very very few snipers that can ultimately sway a match, and usually it's not has nothing to do with shooting. It's more along the lines of what what they're doing from a reconnaissance standpoint for you. Well, and even that doesn't work in PC very well. It's, honestly, it, Because most, there's no tools for them to do it, they should have a little laser tag option. Or the ability to bot, uh, really, with the sniper rifle. I wouldn't mind that. The ability to what? You cut out a little bit? To spot? So basically, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what like in the old, like in the old, uh, back in closed beta and open beta, if you looked at somebody and highlighted them, everyone could see the highlight. And that went away at some point. Yeah, that's yeah no that's what Iron Wolf was saying and I, and I think you both guys are spot on just having some sort of uh, target painter function for like the sniper rifle that would be totally legit and actually probably make them much more relevant to, you know to be honest with you I mean currently in Dust though all the the probably the most the thing that a sniper does the most is psychologically annoy the enemy team and then get them to waste resources hunting that said sniper down. Yeah, no, that's probably pretty pretty accurate. But you know, I didn't mean to get into a, like a red line discussion tangent. It just, I, I just, I've never really engaged on one of these. I, I, I've watched them in the forums a lot. You know, it's just, I, it, I guess part of me in the back of my mind is if you just opened up the red line as much as possible, it is just one of those things. It's like, man, this game is should be meant for having more than sixteen players per side. I can totally see where that where they they were advertising what thirty two on thirty two originally, right? Yes. I mean, I could well, totally 40 see versus that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, like, it was twenty four v twenty four was the the advertising. That's, what's, that's what on, was on the website. On the website. Right? That was on the website for like years. Ever. I, we I mean, finally fixed that. 
you know, it's, if, when you get into those kind of numbers, like 20, like 24 per side, really 32 per side, it, you know, you could see that the maps are actually really big and you could actually use all that space. Uh, I actually think the red line is in a lot of ways, their way of just trying to corral us into a place where you can have content inside the match and you don't spend 10 minutes like driving around and scanning for people uh, to shoot. That's, that's my, it's my opinion. I, speaking of maps though, one, I just want that MCC map in more rotation and I want it in faction warfare because Absolutely. It's, it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun. I think over time though, we will, as people get map knowledge of it, we're going to figure out problems for it, which I think is good. We've got to figure out the problems for it too. You know, it's a case they can be fixed, that kind of stuff. But you know, one thing it, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, one thing I really wish they would have, would have done is, uh, to, to a degree. I think if you take over a planet and PC, I actually don't like the idea of everybody changing their shit to the cargo hub. You know, I, I kind of like the idea that you sort of have to deal with whatever's on the planet and every map is in rotation. I, i I like that. Yes. I mean, the reality is like, you're, you're like, if you take, if you take the, the game story for its word, we're, we don't have like the resources of most capsulers where you can just pick up and plop down, you know, PI structures, which is, a, a ginormous investment in you know terraforming and infrastructure and workers and stuff like that. We can probably take one over and hold it, but we ain't putting a new one down. So I kind of actually like the idea that hey, what if you take over a district and it's got Manus Peak? Guess what? You got to fucking fight on Manus Peak forever well, unless you don't want that district. No, I think I I think the the. I, what Rotati kind of went into is that maybe it's randomized, but what I think would be the compromise between it being a fixed height map or being a random map location, including actually some pub maps that you don't normally see in PC, be in PC. Um, I think what you do is you have every time a district changes ownership, the map changes. And then the no. map is the map is set. That way the defenders can defend that map. And then uh, later on, then it changes. Because the thing is, yeah, but I don't, I, I don't want the I don't want, yeah, but the thing is like you should not be able to change No, 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 that that's map. what I'm saying. No, yeah. no, no, you don't change the the, the whole cuz everything's a cargo hub pretty much. 90% of the maps oh, on yeah. the board. Yeah, uh, that's, and, that's my point. No, like the surface infrastructure in the center, I think could be randomized and the map even the height map itself could be randomized, but it's randomized for each owner like as you flip it. If it changes ownership, then it's a different location because I think one of the things is the defenders get an advan- like a reasonable advantage from knowing what the map is going in beforehand. Um, and I think that's reasonable for them to expect that kind of advantage of like this is our home territory. We know that this height map is X, you know. Well, you know, I, I mean, to a degree, uh, I actually like the idea that, like, well, here, okay, let me, I see what you're saying, and I don't disagree with it in spirit. I think my, my counter proposal to having uh, districts with fixed maps and socket structure is that, hey, I know that Onotaken 4 is, you know, the MCC construction facility. Because that's that is what is there in that district, and it's listed in the district title. Um, and then the attacker and the defender both know that, and because because you would you you would actually know that. There's no reason that you it would not be a surprise to you. And uh, I think that's I don't really see a big problem with that because I don't I think if everything was locked uh, to like this kind of district has this kind of map in it and that kind of thing, 
effectively it is randomized unless all you want to do is take over only the districts with your preferred style of map, which by the way would be a valid tactic, but may cause you some problems in other ways. Um, so for, you know, like from a logistics standpoint or something like that. So I, I actually really like the idea of us being able to take over anything, but changing the structures in the maps, I really think we need to go away from that. Just I think to change, keep it that way. changing the structures in order to get a set benefit is fine, but the structures actually affecting the map on the field isn't necessary. I, um, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. The outlet. Yeah. The, the non match, output of your district. I think you can modify. I think that's totally fine to a degree, but I also think that some, something should be like some of the maps, honestly, like maybe they should be like optimized for certain types of outputs, you know, whatever, you know, some produce better components, some produce help you with produce different, different things in your war barge or, you know, lower your cost of clone packs or whatever. But I don't like the idea of the in-match part, you being able to change and control that. Yeah. Well, I think really the the in terms of structures and bonuses to planets and stuff like that, I really think probably one of the better ways to go about it would be to say um, – uh, this is an idea that I've been throwing around the forums – is that you actually have a fitting for each planet. So each planet has so much grid on it. Each structure takes up a certain amount of grid, right? So then if you have a really expensive grid structure on the planet, then it leaves not as much available for the other districts. And so you get bonuses based on whatever structure you put up, that kind of thing, um, to kind of maybe even drive conflict locally on a planet. Because, okay, somebody's using up all the grid, and you want to do some super awesome thing with your district in terms of to make money. So you go and attack that person, or you try to work out a – maybe you work out a diplomatic arrangement for them to change what their surface infrastructure is. If if there were that level of granular controls in, in a planet – and then and then actually that also leads you down the road of, you know, probably as you – if you get planetary control or something like that, like all the districts on a planet, you get like some optimized bonuses and stuff like that to that. Like I, I would be all for that. Like I – like I think anything that makes uh, owning the planet more granular and with what you can do with it and how you can engage people other than attacking their district because that's kind of the only I mean you can basically choose to attack or not attack somebody but if you had that level of granular control um, from the control of districts and the control of planets and things like that I don't really see a downside to that I I will be frank with you though I, I absolutely don't think that we're anywhere close to ever seeing that uh but i would love to see it i absolutely would love to see it there's got to be something to to add geography to the districts and when i see district resources down the line on the backlog and stuff i get worried that we're going to get in some kind of situation that we ended up with in eve where you had you know very valuable resources only in certain areas of the map that kind of thing i think if you had a generic resource i, and I then, agree it should be a generic resource yes. and then right. and then from that you then can get more specific right. benefits I, out I of i mean one of the things i always thought would be nice and it, we could kind of add the you know pull the flavor of sex status which is already something that you know we know exists and is even showed in the star map um which would be to have you know the the lower sex status planets have more produce more resources um you know so that you know those further out ones from high sec would be the more the more valuable properties yeah 
I could see that for sure, and, and like that's why I want like that gr the the grid idea though. It's like you could have maybe you have a district, maybe you have a planet like Autolith that has twenty four districts, but the actual overall available grid on the planet's relatively low compared to per district. Or you could have a smaller planet that actually has a lot of grid, so each district actually has more juice for you know on a per district level. I think it, the resource idea is good and. You want to have that sense of, I want to control this. I want to own this district. I want to not have somebody messing with me over here doing this way. You know, I I want that kind of depth to planetary conquest. And like Jason, like you were saying, is there needs to be ways, different ways of attacking rather than I just want to own the stuff. Because maybe if you have the whole, like somebody builds an infrastructure that's hurting you in terms of your production, maybe you don't attack the district to own it. You attack it to burn down the surface infrastructure that they then have to build up again. Yeah, no, I think you're, I, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. Uh, you know, like I said, more granular controls or, or well, granularity is not really the thing i think it's more depth is is what we're looking for at the moment uh which i think we've always wanted in uh in pc so uh, like honestly i think you're spot on with a lot of that uh, one thing i would like to do is kind of bridge over to another topic real quick because we are kind of we are going to kind of keep the short the the show a little short if that's okay kind of if there's any saved rounds or any last uh last pitches for uh our deep desires for a Sid Meier like PC game mode. Uh, any last thoughts? Uh, I have to agree with what what the Kane's vision is with um, basically having having conflict drivers because Eve wanted this and it didn't work out too well when they tried to apply it because um, it never went and stole the neighbor's stuff, so to say. Well, okay. I, I, well, the one thing I will offer on this is that I like the idea of having a common. Uh, resource, but having different kinds of resources produced in either different regions or on different types of districts is kind of cool because that's actually one of the big things that differentiates uh, classes of wormholes, difference, differentiates different types of moons and structures uh, in different parts of space in EVE is that if you want to build like a T3 cruiser, you know, like a Tech 3 cruiser, then you have to get stuff from a lot of different places. Uh, and some of them are relatively rare, which then drives with their price. And, and I think if there was some modicum of that in dust, I think that would kind of be good. And that would also lead you down that road of like perhaps um, non-kinetic PVP. When I say non-kinetic, I mean, you know, there's a way to engage corpse and players without shooting them, you know, outside of a match, which then would increase... Um, probably the level of competitiveness or the uh, the engagement in match while you're whilst you're shooting people in the face, if you will. So that's just a thought. I mean, I really do think that they probably could come up with some eyes to do that, ways to do that. It just, I, I'm honestly not sure that they're going to be able to put the resources against that kind of development, though. I guess the the only final thought I have, on, on kind of on that vein, is I really, really wish they would implement a function, maybe with this command point thing, to transfer ownership of a district from one corp to another. Yep, that would be great if they could, if you could sell it, like just outright sell it, that'd be awesome. I totally agree with that. All right, uh, so we're gonna bridge over to our last topic uh, of the night. And this is actually kind of a, um, I'm, I'm gonna take a, we're gonna do something a little bit new here. And I'm literally taking a page from 
one of the other uh, there's another podcast out there. It's an Eve podcast I've mentioned earlier called uh, the Hydrostatic Podcast. So they have an, a lore segment, and this is probably not going to be something that's uh, that we're going to do every week by any stretch of the imagination. But there's some cool things going on in Eve that are somewhat connected to 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 dust uh, that I kind of wanted to talk about a, very briefly. Uh, so. If you guys remember, uh, if you if when you watch the original Dust intro, uh, which is also I think was a fan fest trailer, uh, like on the piece on the PS3, one of the first things it shows is like these guys going into a uh, kind of an alien archaeology location. You know, like it's I think it's like a sleeper structure actually. A sleeper is a a class of human being or like a uh, a sub sort of subcategory of human beings in the new Eden world. And long story short, uh, you, a lot of the dust implants originally came from sleepers. They were actually pieces of implants that were in other essentially humans that were in stasis. They ripped them out and they put them in dust soldiers, or that's how they created the dust soldier with sort of the, the Wi-Fi like, you know, consciousness transfer. Um, now that's since, in the lore that since changed a little bit where basically those implants are produced and they're much more stable than the ones that were actually removed from somebody else's grape and put in yours. Um, but, and the reason I bring this up is that the Jove and the sleepers and they're not synonymous. They're not synonymous. They're not the same, but they are much more similar in their race or their racial uh, background. Uh, they're actually becoming more prevalent in Eve now. And it's kind of interesting. So what they they did, you can they actually have a faction now called the Drifters that came out in the recent update in Eve. And they're effectively what you would see if you were seeing a Sleeper or a Jovian. Um, white-skinned, uh, black scleras for the eyes, like the whites of their eyes are actually black, and heavily augmented. They look kind of, if you imagine like what Pinhead looked like uh, in the old... Yes. Uh, I they look kind cinnabites. They look yeah, like cinnabites. They, they look really kind of like the cinnabites, except that you know, no gore or like weird shit pounded into their head. Uh, and Jadik Minheim actually made an interesting comment. He's like, "I wonder if that's what we look like under under our drop suits, uh, because when you look at them, it kind of actually looks sort of like a probably like a Galente or correction a a Caldari um, drop suit without a helmet. But it's it's kind of interesting when you look at it." Uh, so there's a lot of neat things that, that's happening and it ties back to, because one of the interesting things I find out from my buddies and Eve that are, um, really big lore nuts, a lot of the things that they know about the Jove and the sleepers came from Templar one, which was the actual novel, the Eve novel that talked a lot about dust. It was actually a dust book, if you will. And a lot of the lore that came out of originally when uh, Dust was coming out, that's how they learned a lot of the things about the Jove and the Sleepers. These guys are now coming uh, coming to the fore in Eve. They're an NPC in K-Space or known space now. And they've got this thing called a Drifter Battleship. Holy shit. It, uh, it, it It's pretty incredible. It basically has a doomsday device on it. So when you shoot at it and you aggress it, one, they're very smart and they will track you down and find you. But these things one-shot carriers. Now, if you're not an EVE player, that may not mean much to you. But if you're an EVE player, that should mean a lot. That's literally like a single a single burst of your weapon of, of the weapon system on the ship. There's like 80k damage, like 80,000 you know 
damage per shot for an alpha. It's just insane. Uh, and I've actually gotten to see one of these up close uh, this weekend. It was just incredible watching it blaze away at some these poor fools that were trying to kill it. So I just wanted to bring that up that there's some neat things going out there uh, from a lore standpoint in EVE that sort of shed some light on, or not really shed light on, but actually tie back into uh, what we saw a couple of years ago with the lore in Dust and how that was tying in. So that, that was sort of my, my nerdgasm for the evening that I just wanted to pitch out. And I was kind of curious if you guys have been paying attention to any of that here in the, on the Eve side lately. I keep an eye. Well, it is fairly interesting. You do bring up a good point. Our combat clones are generic, and they are well, copies of each other. I mean, if you took all our helmets off, we all look the same, um, mostly to each other, uh, because the, um, the clones are built for efficiency in combat, not looks, like the capsulators could afford to do. Yeah, I figured, I, I, I kind of figured that there was uh, some kind of, like, a basic, like, Mimitar racial like chassis, you know, or like clone chassis, if you will, that they were using. It's like every race would have like a stock Kaldari chassis, a stock Mimitar chassis, stock Amar and all that kind of good stuff. So oh, it's a, it's I think it's even more generic than that. It's actually just generic male clone, generic female um, combat clone. Well, my assumption for is a long that time we only had generic male. <laughs> well, yeah. My assumption is that wherever the clone was made would, would use like racial genetic stocks. That would, you know, it's probably an assumption, but it was a leap. Most likely, the manufacturing's um, been uniformed between all the clones, so they may not be using the same genetic stock. They're just using whatever stock's best for whatever combat it is. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, as, aside from um, having good genes, um, there's our clones are heavily augmented as well. That's true. Um, but you know, like I said, I thought it was kind of interesting. And if you if you look. Or if you're interested in all and you're listening to the podcast, just literally type in Drifter or Jovian uh, character model and you'll get to see them. They're, they're, they're actually pretty neat. Uh, and I also suspect that in the next year or two, we might actually see them as playable. Uh, because one of the things I talked about in Eve, Eve was a, uh, a, a quote-unquote hard mode where you basically bought a clone that had a stock set of uh, SP in it. And you couldn't you couldn't learn anymore. It had what it had. Like you could buy a twenty million SP clone, and it's got what it's got in it. And that's all it's got. And it goes until you kill it, and then you never get it again unless you buy it. Uh, I could actually see a you know some kind of Jove like uh, piece that was sort of like that, where you, you had like a a sleeper clone or whatever the heck, and he was uh, faking like he's a capsuleer, and it's you pay X amount of ISK for a 20 million SP tune that can do certain things. So my, I don't know. might be interesting to see how it works out. Well, it would give the Joes a third bloodline of a race, but so far they have no association with the current Jovian Empire, who has entirely different um, visual aesthetics in terms of both ships and people. Well, the people are pretty close. Like the few, the few pictures of Jove that we do have, they're actually pretty similar the now the interesting thing about that when you look at the description of the of the drifters it actually describes them as coming from the coming from the jove i mean they they are a cat a sub subsect of the jove and one thing that again before going into a ridiculous amount of eve lore uh the short answer on this is that the jove are a very fractured group because we never see them if you're an eve player you're one of the four basic human racial types 
when you play. The Joe were the fifth one. And there are actually a lot of um, sub-factions within the Jove that, yeah, unless you go really, really deep into like Eve Chronicles and stuff that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, so uh, they, they are actually from the Jove. So it, it would be inter- interesting to see how this, how this kind of all works out in the future. And like I said, for those of you that don't know, if all you've seen is dust on the PS3, which is totally legit, um, the the actual fictional world of new Eden is incredibly deep. I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff into it, like in a expanded universe type of way. And if you really kind of like, um, science fiction style, like world building, it's a really, really neat sort of thing to get into. And I highly encourage you to check it out. Um, with that, uh, I will probably start to call this episode to a close. I'd like to go ahead and, Breach into shout outs, but I want to give everybody a shot. Uh, any kind of any kind of thing you want to put out there for about a one minute topic or, or a brief statement or whatever. If we can do that, I, I would appreciate it. Uh, and then when you get done, do your shout out. So it's kind of a, a remix version of the shout outs. But you, if it's your platform, if you want to throw anything out there before we close this up. So we're going to lead off with Iron Wolf Saber. If you got anything on your mind, let it go and then give us some shout outs, brother. I like to give a shout out to Gaijin for eating up all my attention this week on their free to play game uh, War Thunder. I am, and what I'm playing War Thunder for is on basically how they're doing the, their vehicle gameplay for reference to um, this gameplay. And I am so far liking how they do tank versus tank combat. Um, the concept of having um, per- parts of the vehicle get disabled if they get hit in a certain d- way and direction. Um, Makes it easier, makes them an easier target over time. Um, but overall, it will not exactly fit dust models entirely. But in the idea that we could potentially should be able to disable an HAV with like a flux grenade or something, or maybe the proximity mines had a slowing effect, um, would help out a lot of the AV issues. I would, I would love if we could ever get to like having like a stasis web of fire in dust that I could use on vehicles or drop suits. Uh, I actually put a lot of thought into that. A lot of people thought you could use it like as a grenade. I would actually rather it be something you mounted on a lav, like a small turret. Uh, so, and that would give lavs a really neat uh, counter to a lot of vehicle play. Tackler lavs. Yay. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. If you think about it, that works just like it does in EVE. Like small, fast, um, you know, low HP ships that their sole job is to go out there and tackle big expensive things until folks with AV or big weapons can show up and smoke it. I, I think that, I think that'd be an absolutely blast way to play. Uh, okay. Uh, so I appreciate that. Iron Wolf, any shout outs, man? No, I already, I already gave a shout out to Gaijin. Oh, totally. Sorry about that. Uh, Kane Sparrow, you're up brother. Just a shout out to, again, to the dust community for being crazy and continuing to play in this game. And also a shout out to the negative feedback Alliance because they're doing some crazy stuff right now. Awesome. Okay. Um, Pokey? Uh, kind of slow weeks, no topics, but uh, shout out to people in OSG for putting up with my incredibly high 300% tax rate. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, and we've got a twofer. We're going to get a, a we're going to get a intro and a shout out all in the same go round. SMB? Uh, yeah. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Sir Manboy, um, director over at Molan Labe, member of CPM1. Uh, thanks for letting me speak, Jay. I just want to give a quick shout out. Um, Molan Labe uh, suffered a pretty big loss 
this week. Uh, one of our longtime members uh, who will always be a friend to us, who's a personal friend to me. Um, and I just want to give him a shout out because we're going to miss him dearly. Uh, Thor Odinson, 42, just recently left Mullen Labe. And uh, we just want to wish him the best. Happy trails. Um, and um, just let him know that, uh, you know, despite the fact that he left, we're all thinking about him and uh, we wish him well. Awesome, man. Is he, is he, I, I'm honestly not trying to pick here, but is he leaving Mullen Labe or leaving the game? Uh, he left Mullen Labe. He went to um, somewhere in negative feedback, I believe. Uh, I'm not even totally clear on all the details, but uh, he's been with us for like two years. He's yeah, one of our wow. longtime directors yeah. and, um, you know, he, uh, he was looking for a different experience apparently. So we're just going to miss him and uh, we just, you know, want him to know that, uh, you know, we all got nothing but love for the guy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thor is, Thor is a, he's a good dude. So yeah, I, I wish him well and whatever his endeavors are. And, and that is something that happens uh, when you play these games. A lot of times is you, you'll honestly get, um, you know, you'll, you'll get people that want to just have different game experiences over time. Uh, and, and it happens. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, man. No, no problem. And I'm certainly glad to see that Thor is not leaving the game and we're going to still see him, uh, you know, blasting around in the, uh, in the matches. So, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jay. Uh, yeah, no problem, brother. Uh, Sarai? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give my shout out to, uh, Jadik Manaheim and his new, uh, PS3 theme you can download this week. If you've seen that. I haven't, mm. I find it? I haven't seen that one yet. Um, he's he's tweeted about it. It is a uh, it is a uh, Lord Rotati theme for for your PS3. Oh jeez. Oh, I did up. see that. <laughs> that was actually pretty funny, actually. Okay, uh, Sarai, is anything else, man? No, that's all I got for today. Okay. Um, well, I'm gonna keep this one uh, fairly tight. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of shoutouts right now. Uh, I'll probably save those for another time, and I do appreciate everybody coming on. Uh, I appreciate the uh, again the the fact that we're getting together to do a podcast about a game that probably uh, like, like a relative handful handful of people play. Uh, you know, in the I say that relative across the uh, the gaming world, uh, but it's pretty cool. It's it's probably indicative of the style of community and the style of player uh, that is, that's attracted long term to these kind of games. So. Uh, on that note, uh, I hope to hope to see you guys all in match, or at least uh, as one of my favorite uh, Dust Media folks says, in a reticle near you. Shout out to Booker. Um, on that note, we're going to close episode 42. And again, we appreciate your patronage, and please keep the comments coming. Twitter, email, biomass.net, in-game, whatever. Let us know what you want to talk about. Let us know what you think. And again, we appreciate you guys listening and downloading us. Thanks, guys. Good night.